under international maritime law. Simpletonpodcast.com is necessitized to formally formalize a grandiose gesture of warning that the following podcast contains a talking antelope of the genus Conocaetes. My name is Dale E. Richardson, and I've seen things you wouldn't believe. My life's work has taken me to all corners of the globe. I've had face-to-face experience with UFOs, aliens, creatures of legend, and have performed countless exorcisms, both with and without Vatican approval. I am here to tell you such phenomena exist in our time and should be treated with discernment and veracity on behalf of humankind. There is one man whose sole purpose is to investigate the vortex between the natural and supernatural. There is one. It's me, Dale E. Richardson. ship is innocuous enough on its own, but if you insert ghost in front of it, not forgetting to insert, when applicable, a definite or perhaps indefinite article before the two words, you have something completely different. A ghost ship. The term ghost ship, or as the Germanic tribes of Liechtenstein put it, a chef at der Körperlusenwissen, is synonymous with legend and myth on the high sea and is often used to refer to the unmoored vessel that is found drifting with not a single living crew member on board. In the early afternoon of Saturday, June 22nd, 1911, a two-masted schooner was observed approximately 12 miles off the southwest coast of Kangaroo Island by Hector Sexton, the keeper of the Cape du Caldeck Lighthouse, one of three on the South Australian island. Sexton, who had been scanning the coast for his ex-wife Jambles and a new arsehole lover Cecil through his 10-power scope, looked up and immediately saw the ship on the horizon. It was rolling and pitching and its sails were badly torn. He alerted local police 112 kilometres away in Kingscote via telegram. Given that it would have taken a full day to sail from Kingscote to where Sexton had seen the vessel, the officer on duty, Captain Johnny Pistol, instructed Sexton to gather some men together, get a suitable ship and salvage the stricken vessel. Pistol, meanwhile, told Sexton he would make his way cross-country to Cape Cowdeck forthwith on his wildebeest, Rudy, the only means of transportation available to local police at the time. Sexton socialised with several seamen, such as sibling seaman Simon Sexton, six sibling out of seven, who owned a brig and was currently home. 
Within about an hour of the initial sighting, they and four other seamen were floating into the Southern Ocean. The men, all of which had an understanding of the Lewin Ocean current and wind conditions, were confident they would find it. At about 4.30pm, they spotted a ship about four miles off the starboard bow. After his brother, as well as the four other seamen, had each had a chance to observe it through Sexton's binoculars, the unanimous view was that something was very wrong. They moved to within 200 yards, more than close enough to see the name of the vessel emblazoned on its port side. The men monitored the SV Barry Jones from a secure distance for over half an hour, during which they observed her sailing in a highly haphazard and paranormal fashion, deeper into the southern ocean, without a breath of life on board. They eventually made a move. Hector and two of the other seamen set off in a small boat for the stricken vessel, leaving sibling seaman Simon Sexton sadly stranded sulking aside of salty seaman sidekick Sebastian and Silas. The three briefly boarded her and looked around before returning. The following, spoken some two years after the event, is the verbatim extract of what Hector Sexton told a joint Western Australian South Australian Royal Commission into the disappearance of the 12-person crew of the SV, Barry Jones. I was the first one to board her. The other two followed. There was no one on board. The ship was under sail and although the masts were torn, it was still seaworthy. There was no sign that a struggle had taken place and none that essential equipment was damaged or missing. The cargo was apparently untouched, as was the lifeboat, and enough food and water to last for well over a month was still on board. The galley was tidy as were the cabins, although that of Captain Waterloo might be considered an exception, with various personal belongings, including an array of women's clothing and half-empty perfume bottles lying around at random. This was odd because I later found out that only men were on the crew. His bed was unmade and I took a peek inside his logbook and noted that the last entry was made on Thursday, June 20th, the 11th day since the ship's departure from Perth, 48 hours before the Saturday upon which I'd initially seen the ship from the lighthouse. The SV Barry Jones was a Perth-based merchant vessel owned by the Jones family of Perth, a well-heeled clan of vicious, snobbish, misbegotten swine within the city's business community. The ship had been built the previous year and was on its maiden voyage. The local 12-man crew was headed by the crusty bachelor Captain Murdoch Waterloo and was charged with delivering 190 tonnes of pure high-grade industrial strength laxatives to Adelaide, a little-known dimly-lit Portuguese leper colony on the southern coast, which was suffering a severe shortage of the product. The journey should have taken roughly two weeks and according to the captain's logbook, it was all running to schedule as late as day 11 upon which Captain Waterloo noted that he was able to see in the distance part of the Eyre Peninsula between Mount Hope and Port Lincoln, roughly two days sailing from Adelaide. Captain's log. This air vessel and its 12-man crew is charged with delivering 190 tonnes of pure-grade industrial strength laxatives to Adelaide, a little-known dimly-lit Portuguese leper colony on the southern coast, which is suffering a severe shortage of said product. 
The journey should take roughly two weeks, and according to, to this logbook, all is running to schedule as late as today, day 11, upon which I must note that I'm able to see in the distant part of the Eyre Peninsula between Manhoop and Port Lincoln. Roughly two days sailing time from Adelaide. It must be stated logbook that nothing is amiss. Nothing in the logbook indicated that anything was amiss. The fact is that the SV Barry Jones should have been delivering its much needed cargo at the same time it was found adrift. Much as I was adrift until I found the words of 19th century paranormal scholar Brigadier Dr. Sir Harrendall of His Majesty's 33rd Man of Grenadiers, mystic, poet, and first order philanderer. Should one find oneself separated and adrift from His Majesty's fleet, with little to no hope of salvation, there is but one honourable path forward for the God-fearing Englishman. Imbibe every drop of rum at hand. Nerves thus stilled, in thine own mouth insert the flintlock. Now, for king and country, Blow your brains all over the mainsail. Should one fail at this endeavour, proceed to plan B forthwith. The same three men that had boarded her were soon sent back again by Captain Simon Sexton to commandeer the Barry Jones and sail her back to Cape de Cowdick. It would be hard work with such a small number of men on either ship, but by late evening they were both safely docked at the main pier. The men, now totally rooted, agreed that they should all go home to get some shut-eye. They would have plenty of time the following day to begin staking their claim on the salvage rights. When Hector finally arrived at his cottage adjoining the lighthouse, he was greeted by saucy Sally Sexton, sexy spouse of said Sir Sexton. She had manned slash person the lighthouse for several hours after Hector had set off seeking salvage before clocking out and posting their four-year-old son Proctor on duty. Before Hector retired for the night, he was informed by Sally that a telegram had arrived in the early evening from Captain Johnny Pistol. His wildebeest, Rudy, had suffered a slip vertebrae near the central town of Pandana where they were forced to bunk down for the night. Rudy would remain behind under the care of the local publican, while Pistol would continue his voyage at daybreak, this time riding upon Wayne Reinhardt, a polar bear who had been kept by a patron of the pub for over a decade as a somewhat exotic pet. I was racked both by the agony of the slipped disc and the misery of the guilt of failing my master. My chiropractor informed that I would be out for four to six weeks. My mind rebelled from this failure. But the flesh is weak. 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 Damn this infernal vertebrae. Damn them all. Simon Sexton sent a telegram the next morning to his former employer, the Adelaide-based Spencer Gulfstream Ship Company. They claimed it was not one of their ships. 
None of the men involved in the salvage knew where the SV Barry Jones came from or who owned it, let alone how many crew had been on board to say nothing of the intended port of call. For much of Sunday, Hector and sibling Simon Sexton were in contact with shipping companies and authorities on the mainland. By dusk on Cape de Cowdick, the Jones family in Perth had been informed of what had become of their ship. The six men, meanwhile, were duly informed of the origins of their find and ordered by the South Australian Marine Department to stay put and await further instruction. On Monday, an extensive search of the Southern Ocean was underway as the first incomplete reports of the mystery appeared in the South Australian daily Adelaide Bartajona. Meanwhile, news began to filter across the Kangaroo Island of a violent incident on the edge of Flinders Chase National Park that involved a polar bear and a local law enforcement officer. The following is a reenactment of what took place. Stay your hand and lower thy weapon, lawman. I intend you no harm. But if attacked, I swear to you, I will defend myself with every means at my disposal. have sustained wounds. It burns! Later in the day, Hector and Simon Sexton received a maritime department telegram which read, Dear Mr Sexton, Immediately remove all of the ship's papers and logbook from all board and any perfumes and lady clothes and keep them safely locked away in the lighthouse stop personnel from the department as well as Adelaide police will be there soon stop bye stop at 8am on Tuesday morning Simon Sexton made his way down to the pier to do some maintenance work on his brig while it was docked exactly where it should have been the SV Barry Jones had pissed right off. He ran up to the lighthouse and sent an urgent telegram to the Kangaroo Island Cop Shop. After an hour, there was still no response, so the men sent a telegram to the Marine Department in Adelaide, who told Simon and Hector to sit tight and await the scheduled arrival of the investigation team. Dear Mr Sexton, stop. Sit tight and await the scheduled arrival of the investigation team. Stop. See you soon! Stop! The men alerted several people in the community forthwith, some of whom spent all morning combing the local coastline or contacting people across the island. At 3.45pm, Hector and Simon received a telegram from the ranger at the Vivon Bay Conservation Park. A ship had been sighted in the bay by a local fisherman. It was apparently stranded on a reef some 800 metres off the coast. Cursed I am, stranded here, abandoned by yon imbeciles, forsaken by Neptune. I yearn for the open sea. The eight-man investigation team from the mainland arrived soon after the telegram, and, along with all six men involved in the initial salvage, arrived at the wreck on Summons Brig late in the evening. Equipped with heavy-duty floodlights, equipment to tow the vessel and a car jack, 
The men sailed around it several times and confirmed it was indeed the Barry Jones. The ship was listing heavily to the starboard side and had extensive damage on the port side hull. The Barry Jones could have tumbled off the reef and sunk beneath the dark choppy waters at any moment if not promptly salvaged. Fearful of stranding the brig upon the reef as well, the men dropped anchor in a nearby inlet and returned the next morning. The men headed back to the reef at daybreak, but it was all too late. While clearly visible from the surface, the Barry Jones was now completely on its side under 50 feet of water, exactly where it lies today. Bradley Benjamin, an historian at the Adelaide Maritime Museum, sums up the aftermath of the loss of the SV Barry Jones. The six who'd initially salvaged her were out of luck. There would be no reward. The Jones family of Perth was also out of pocket. The ship and cargo were completely uninsured. The men from the mainland were now faced with a jewel investigation. What had happened to the crew and who had stolen the ship and crashed it onto the reef? They stayed on for quite a while, but in spite of the ongoing investigation, which I might add included an admiralty inquiry and a royal commission, neither mystery was ever resolved. The cargo, nearly 200 tons of industrial strength laxatives, went down with the ship and must have wrought carnage on the underwater ecosystem. Every creature in the water within a mile would have suffered from extreme diarrhea. The captain's logbook and other papers, now displayed at the Alice Springs Maritime Museum, are all that survived from the ship's maiden voyage. Some of the captain's evening gowns, generally loose-fitting and sequined with pearls, were later retrieved from the wreck and given over to his aging poodle Sven, who was under the care of a family friend. Just what befell the crew of the SV Barry Jones, and who stole the vessel from Cape to Cowdick before crashing onto the reef at Vivon Bay? Morgan Turner, best-selling author of the book Legends and Mysteries of the Mighty Sea, offers his views on the great mystery of the ghost ship. That was a time when seamen were still highly superstitious. People were terrified of Felix, a massive clam some 40 to 50 metres in width. According to legend, Felix would emerge from the ocean when the moon was at its highest point and completely devour ships and crews. Some blame Felix for the disappearance of the crew. Back then, if a seaman in the southern ocean looked into the night sky and the waters were calm, the moon was making its ascent, you could be sure about what he would have said. The six men involved in the salvage were investigated for possible involvement in the disappearance, but quickly freed of suspicion. The conspiracy theory is that some of them may have come across the Barry Jones at sea prior to the salvage and killed all the crew in an act of piracy before bringing in co-conspirators and orchestrating the ghost ship narrative as a cover. Aware of the imminent arrival of investigative personnel from Adelaide, so goes the theory, one of the men, 
in on the alleged conspiracy may have lost his nerve and disposed of the evidence by scuttling the ship. The fact is, however, that such an elaborate conspiracy would have been almost impossible to pull off and keep secret, and all for the sake of salvage rights. The truth would likely be very mundane. Piracy, mutiny, a freak wave, alien pirates, or some sort of poorly judged action are all possible. But what exactly was it? I don't know. That's why they call it a mystery. Turner is also dismissive of the idea that Barry Jones himself could have been involved in the disappearance of the crew or the eventual sinking of the ship in the bay. It would have been much more profitable for him to have the ship reach its destination and offload its cargo, he maintains. And even a large salvage fee would have been vastly more preferable to the loss of the entire ship. While ultimately non-committal on the question of the crew, however, Turner has a much firmer view on the question of who might have crashed upon the reef. Captain Johnny Pistol. Wayne Reinhardt was found in the National Park several days later after the ship was taken from the Cape. He had a bullet wound in his hip, but was returned to his owner in reasonable health. Pistol was never seen again after the sighting on the edge of the National Park. The dismounted officer and Wayne came to blows, resulting in mutual injuries including the bullet wound. The conflict ended soon after when Wayne fled into the forest and Pistol abducted a wild emu at gunpoint, mounting it and setting off southward in the direction of the Cape. Had he made it to the Cape and, worse for wear, with deep lacerations, attempted the impossible task of sailing the ship single-handedly back to Kingscote? Where the ship was crashed was on the route back to Kingscote. This is perhaps the most plausible explanation as to who took the ship from the Cape, if not for the ultimate question of the crew. It is now a century since that fateful day upon which the SV Barry Jones was salvaged off the southwestern coast of Kangaroo Island and brought back to Cape to Cowdick. We are still no closer to solving the mystery of the 12-man crew that vanished without a trace. Just what is to be made of the theft and the eventual destruction of the ship? Is there a link between this and the vanishing of the crew? Or was it a random event that merely muddied the waters of the original mystery? I don't know. Unlikely and highly probable would be my overall response to the aforementioned. But with so much to ponder, so much unknown and so much beyond our comprehension, perhaps we would do well to leave the final word to Captain Murdoch Waterloo himself. She's a great wild and tame beast, this old man we call the sea. Full of mystery and enigma. A tease to the last. She's aware she could have anyone she likes at any time. He wrote at the end of his logbook entry on day nine of that faithful voyage. Oh yes, the grand old maiden we call the sea, the keeper of secrets. Now though, all I can think of is arriving to Adelaide and getting the cargo off as quickly as we can. After that, I think I'm gonna buy me a pair of stiletto heels. Think I'll get me a pair of Andre Perugias. I should have them on my feet in well under a week from the time of writing. But of course, only if the sea lets me.